Hi, I'm Chris McBrien, a Gen Xer, and the pop culture from my generation is awesome. And I'm Yance Eaton, a millennial, and the pop culture from my generation is dope. Episode 3, Saturday Night Live or Saturday Night Dead? Hey, hey, I'm Chris McBrien, along with E.N.C. Eaton. This is Pop Goes Your World, a pop culture podcast for the generations. Before we get started, hey, we've got a big topic this week. We're going to be talking about uh, an institution, both uh, in television and pop culture in general. That's Saturday Night Live. We're going to be going over our favorite SNL sketches, our favorite performers from the show and stuff like that. But uh, before we get started, Yancey, I want to ask you something. You were born in 1988. Am I correct? Correct. Yes. Okay. So I'm, I'm curious. When did you first start watching SNL? Because for me, it was I was watching it when I was as young as 10. I was 10 years old. I used to stay up late Saturday nights and I used to watch it. So when did you first kind of get into it? Um, I remember being a kid and uh, I have three other siblings. On Saturday nights, my dad was a local stock car racer. So he and my mom would always be gone Saturday nights and they would go to the races and they'd be gone all night. They'd come back, you know, super, super late. And so once my oldest sister was basically old enough to take care of and kind of babysit all of us kids we would watch movies and tv and stuff like that so saturday night live was one of the few things that was on late that was worth watching at all i mean you know this saturday night late night saturday television is for the most part it's just complete trash it's it's there's nothing good on at all because everybody's out doing things and stuff so they're not going to put prime programming on saturday night so it was the only thing that was on tv and uh so i'd say from the time i was about like you said, maybe 10 or 12 is when I first started watching Saturday Night Live. And uh, I'm not going to lie. I've, I've had an on and off again relationship with it. Sometimes, you know, I'll go six months and having watched every single episode and, and not or every you know single iteration of it and not missing any. And then I'll kind of have a falling out with it. And, you know, whenever you have a character or, or an actor or actress that's on the show that you've really taken to and they leave, it's painful. And it's, you know. It, it, it takes a lot for me to come back to it, but I'd say about 10 or 12 years old was when I first started listening to it, and it's a it, it's a complicated relationship right now. Yeah, well, definitely. Like the, the, the one thing with this show is it's had such an interesting sort of history, like with the ups and downs. It's almost been like this big roller coaster ride. Like it started off so, so amazing, and we'll get into some of that tonight. Um, and then, you know, it really took a nosedive right around 1980 when the original cast kind of all went away, and then and Lorne Michaels was gone and all that kind of stuff. So it's just been up and down, up and down, up and down all the way. Uh, that's for sure. But especially like recently, like, I mean, I think generally the consensus out there is is that Saturday Night Live is not as good now as it used to be. And, and you know, we're going to go through some things tonight. Um, like I say, we're going to get in. When we get into Top of the Pops, I want to take a look at I want to ask you what your top five sketches are from Saturday mm-hmm. Night Live. Um, and I'm also going to ask you about your top five uh, SNL performers. So you want to get started on that right away? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, okay, let's get into it. You kids today with your Zima soft drinks, Pac-Man video games, and your Dan Fogelberg records. We're the do-it-yourself generation. A lot of millennials look at me like I've got two heads. If you didn't like MASH... So here's where our generations are really, really different. They all watch the same five TV shows. We mock what yeah. we don't understand. It is very, very culturally relevant. It's, it's going to be here for a while. It's like a little secret handshake that we have with each other. Help me out, Chris. What am I trying to say? I'm young, I'm hip, and I speak the language of the streets. You have like this weird, almost cultish obsession with the Fonz. Okay, so let's start with the top five 
SNL sketch sketches from from your it could be I guess pretty much from your generation is probably where you're gonna do it. But I tell you what, how about if we do it in reverse order? We go five to one, and I'll, I'll leave it up to you. Do you want to you want to do like do you want to you go five to one and then I go five to one, or you want to go your five and then my five and your your four my four? How do you want to do that? Uh, we can we can swap it one for one. Okay, well let's do that. So why don't uh, why don't you get us started? Uh, okay, your number five sketch on SNL of all time. What is it and why? Okay, just as an aside, I, I understand that there are going to be some sketches that maybe should be on the list that aren't making it. It's really, really hard to rank oh, yeah. five. It's, and it's impossible. We could literally do this show ten times. We yeah. could do ten more of this show, and we could still be pulling up uh, sketches and stuff like that. So, yeah, to narrow it down to five, I know I'm asking a lot. It's hard to do, but, but to give it your best shot, that's for sure. All right, so I was going for something that had – not only did I think it was really funny, but it also had kind of a uh, – like this sustaining cultural relevance. Like if I seen it in my Twitter timeline, if I seen my mom posting something about it on Facebook, that type of, you know, overarching like cultural relevance for like two or three days afterwards, that's what I was thinking of. So number five for me is uh <laughs> is the day everybody figured out that Beyonce was black. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen it. <laughs> That's a pretty good one. <laughs> but this was right around uh, her Super Bowl performance, the halftime performance, and uh, you know this is at the 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 affront of the the whole Black Lives Matter movement and you know police brutality and, and you know the the racial divide and civil rights and stuff. And of course, she goes and she does her halftime performance, and uh, you know a lot of people didn't really take to it very well. You know, some people did, and that's fine. But uh, the the just the idea that they didn't realize ahead of time that she was actually a black woman. Like this is the first time it was kind of a play on, you know, unknowing white people, but also like poking fun at the fact that, you know, for her entire career, Beyonce has been like incredibly averse to conflict. She's never pushed social agendas. She's never, you know, taken a stand and using, used her platform to, you know, basically better the plight of African-Americans. And, uh, so I, I like jokes like that that work both ways. It's making fun of everybody that's involved in it. So that's my number five. Oh, I really like that one a lot. Now, I should say, just to sort of peel back the curtain a little bit on the show, you and I have not discussed our list in any way, shape, or form coming into this. We're just kind of flying blind on this. So right. I, I think that it's kind of interesting because my number five um, is, okay, so I think for me, SNL has always been at its best when it's kind of being edgy and addressing social issues. And I'm gonna go with you. I'm also gonna go with a, uh, with a racially sort of charged uh, sketch that they did. And this was in, it's from December, 1975. Richard Pryor was the guest host and him and Chevy Chase did a sketch together and it was called Word Association, okay? And okay. so you- I have go, not seen it. Okay, yeah, you're gonna have to like go and look it up and find it on YouTube or something like that. So they do a sketch together where Pryor, he's being interviewed for a job by Chevy Chase. And during the interview, Chevy Chase, he asked Pryor to play a Word Association game with him. And mm -hmm. it starts out pretty innocent, you know, like Chase says dog and Pryor, of course, says, he actually says tree. Uh, but um, they, they, go, <laughs> they go back and forth and they say words and then things kind of start, start to kind of go downhill. <laughs> and Chase starts throwing out sort of increasingly offensive racial slurs and Pryor reacts with his own racial slurs back at Chase. And so then finally Chase uses like this one really, really bad term and Pryor reacts by calling him honky and then chase uses the n-word <laughs> and chase uses the n-word and prior says dead honky so chase offers him the job and and it was really really funny and um and it was just and the thing was too like so just a edgy little, oh it was and especially for 75 and 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 actually it was kind of an interesting sketch because to me it was kind of it actually kind of you know actually 
played up a little bit of racial harmony, if that even makes any sense at all in the mm-hmm. sketch, because it, it was it was edgy and stuff like that. But it, I don't know. It had some sort of a uh, some sort of a gelling, you know. Uh, component to it. It's kind of hard for me to, to word that, but uh, yeah. the thing was too is that show was one of the best shows ever. I went back recently and and, and I watched some of these these older shows. And like, if you take a, a show like that, like when when Richard Pryor was on, every single sketch on that show is a hundred times better than any of the best sketches that are being done today. Like mm-hmm. that show, if you take a look at it, um, it was also the, deb- the debut of Belushi's Samurai. He did this uh, Samurai Hotel with Richard Pryor. It was the first time Gilda Radner did uh, Emily Lytella on Weekend Update. And they did this exorcist sketch where Richard Pryor was one of the priests and 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 the girls in the bed, played by uh, Lorraine Newman, is playing the uh, Linda Blair character. And the bed levitates off the floor. And the, so the priests are all chanting, the bed must be on the floor. The bed must be on the floor. And the bed drops and Pryor goes, the bed is on my foot and it was just like it was just all around it was it was funny and Richard Pryor was such an amazing host and such a such a hard host I think for the show because he was really notorious for his substance abuse and he was mm-hmm. a lot of times was late for movie sets like he was funny enough Blazing Saddles one of my favorite comedies of all time he was actually originally um, pegged to, 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 to play the role of the sheriff in that movie and, and and they finally decided not to do it because he was so unreliable like with his substance abuse and things like that. Right. And when he and then on Saturday Night Live, like um, Lorne Michaels insisted that, that Richard Pryor was going to come on the show. And NBC didn't want him because he had already caused some problems on some other television programs on other networks and NBC as well. So they're like, we don't want him, right? And then it came down to this whole thing. But I mean, Pryor came on, Pryor insisted that he get to pick the musical guest that night. He, he wanted Jill Scott Heron to be on. And NBC was so scared of Pryor using the F word on the air that they insisted on using a five-second delay on the show so that they could beep anything out if he said it. And Lorne Michaels actually agreed to do it, but he knew, you know, Richard Pryor would, like, freak out if he knew, so they didn't tell Richard Pryor. And you know what they did? They synchronized all the studio clocks in the studio so that he wouldn't know that there was a delay. Really? Yeah, and Richard Pryor said in his memoirs, if he'd have, if he'd have known at the time that they did this delay on him, he never would have went on stage and done the show. So that's just kind of how volatile the show was back then and how edgy it was. But yeah, anyway, long story short, for number number five for me is word association. What's your number four? Okay, I, I just want to say I obviously have a huge gap with that. Um, I was doing a little bit of research for this, just trying to to look up clips and stuff like that and refresh my memory and, and maybe you know uncover something that I haven't watched before. And uh, I guess Saturday Night Live is well, you know, NBC obviously is is notorious for um, keeping their content off of any other website, even YouTube. Like yeah. if somebody else wants to upload a clip or anything like that, it is nearly impossible to find some of this stuff. Now I wasn't. You're, that's a good point. I wasn't 100 sure if it was NBC that's keeping it off or maybe it's Broadway Video. You know, right. but, but either one, you're you're totally right. It was tough, really, really tough to find any any good clips out there. But I think if you do a search, you're able to find a couple. I was able to find some of Word Association. I watched it and just laughed all over again, and okay. just realized just how brilliant it was. But anyway, so your number four. So my number four again, I'm, I'm coming from a much smaller pool of of just the the amount of time that I've watched it. Obviously, like I I wasn't around for you know the Eddie Murphy days and stuff like that, and, and getting to see Richard Pryor and stuff. So I'm I'm going on a very recent curve right here. But uh, uh, number four for me, I watched it today again with my wife, and uh, it's the Kissing Family. Ah, it's, I guess. it's with Andy Samberg yep. and uh, uh, Fred Armisen's in it, and Kristen Wiig, of course. And it's basically like where this Andy Samberg has his boyfriend. I forget what the other actor's name is, but um, they're coming to meet his family. They're a gay couple. 
and the family is just super just overtly unbelievably affectionate like kissing everybody you know five six times and then it just keeps escalating and at first it starts as like semi-uncomfortable because you see like a mother you know giving her son like a kiss on the lips once and then she does it again and again and again and you kind of feel like this like really uncomfortable kind of like tinge on the back of your neck because it's weird you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. if you've ever seen like your friend like kisses you know your adult friend kisses mom you know i still kiss my mother but it's just it's it's weird but to build on like that weird kind of like weirdish taboo and it keeps going and going and going till eventually like they're all literally mouthing each other and sucking on each other's necks and it's just i i just like skits that give you that weird that weird feeling you know what i mean it like it, it attacks something in you that you know it's weird and even if it's stupid and you know it's just a skit but like it's it has such a cringeworthy effect to it that you literally cannot stop watching it so that's that's number four for me okay i'm gonna go with one okay so a little bit of history of the show back at the beginning of, of the 80s like, like 1980 in the beginning uh, of the decade snl was in a lot of trouble okay because the original cast was gone and like i said lauren michaels had left the show and there was a pretty weak cast there was Char- charles rocket um gilbert godfrey denny dylan even julia louise dreyfus i don't know if you knew she got her start on snl and I did not. uh but it, it wasn't until they let this young, cocky writer for the show named Eddie Murphy come on and he did a bit on Weekend Update about basketball. And it was like at that moment, like the show all of a sudden had a breakout star. The audience loved him like right away. And SNL, it finally looked like it might be able to turn a corner and like kind of move into a new era. And I tell you what, Eddie Murphy, man, he did some amazing sketches. Like he did one called White Like Me, where he made himself like a white person, went out and found out like white people get all this free stuff and all this in the world. And his buckwheat was awesome, especially, oh, it was called America Mourns. It was a little bit where Buckwheat got shot and all this. But for me, um, my number four, I'm going to go with uh, an Eddie Murphy sketch that he did. It's called James Brown Hot Tub Party. And it's one of my favorites of uh, my, one of my one of my favorites of all time on the show. And it was just like so full of energy. And it was just this short little sketch where where James Brown was like doing this show from his hot tub, and Eddie Murphy just nailed him like exactly like his voice, you know, the incoherent screams, you know, the jump back, why too hot, and all that. And it was just so <laughs> so funny. Eddie Murphy, I think, one of the best cast members ever. And for me, he was never better than when he was doing imitations. And I thought the James Brown one was hilarious. So that's my mm-hmm. number four. Okay. All right. Uh, this is where it gets really tricky because uh, because of the obvious generational overlaps and stuff like that. Like you might claim a skit as your generation's. I might claim it as mine. So there's, there's a lot of back and forth that makes it really, really difficult. But um, I think for number three, I'm going to go with the uh, – celebrity jeopardy jeopardy rather any of them (laughs) literally any of them i know they did a couple and then uh obviously will ferrell left and he came back and he did it i know for the 40th anniversary they did another yeah they did they did another skit with it but any of the suck at trebek or um I'm trying to think of like specific words that they use. Just his blatant mispronunciations of words. It's the stupidest, but it is the funniest skit. I just it's I love really intellectual, like next level you know, just, you know, crazy, crazy stuff that really makes you think, you're like, wow, that's really intelligent. Maybe that went over the heads of a lot of people, but I got that and that's really interesting. I love that comedy. But I also love really obvious, stupid, punny, just like, you know, just completely over the top comedy like this. Like this sketch, this sketch I, I know everybody has seen it. You guys all know what it is. 
I can watch it a hundred times and it never gets old for me. So, so I have a question for you. So for you, who was your favorite like celebrity panelist on the show? Because I had one of my favorite. Like I have my favorite. I'm wondering what was yours. Um, like Sean Connery or who was it? Sean Connery was really good. Uh, wasn't Norm on one? Yeah. So my, my favorite was when Norm did Burt Reynolds. His Burt Reynolds was yeah, so yeah, much. Yeah. He had the mustache. <laughs> and he was chewing the gum, and he would be like, "Yeah, okay, I'm gonna take uh, I'm gonna take Swords for a hundred dollars." And he's like, "Yeah, it's S words. It's S words for a hundred. <laughs> like, oh yeah, okay. Well, I'll, I'll take uh, for two hundred. I'll take uh, the rapists. Uh, and then it's like, uh, yeah, that's therapists." for 200 yeah. like it was just oh, it's yeah. stupid but it's it's so, it's so funny i love i love stuff like that seriously okay, absolutely so, love it so so for my number three i'm going to push the limits a little bit of my generation it's sort of a, kind of right at the tail end of it um but when chris farley did his matt foley motivational speaker like it was amazing is this the down by the river yeah he's like this 35 year old overweight divorce guy who he lived in a van down by the river and he's, like, he's giving motivational speeches and, the, and he does it to these teenagers that the parents bring him in to talk to these teenagers to try and set him straight and the teenagers clearly like see through it all and then he just goes and just crashes through the coffee table <laughs> like, i can still laugh when i'm thinking about it i loved it it's number three for me i love chris farley i it, it, he's one of those characters though it's like knowing now that obviously he passed away and stuff and knowing all the problems that he had with like you were mentioning with richard Pryor with substance abuse and stuff like that and just how just dark his his personal life was like i love watching those clips but it's also at times it's really really painful because you know like how it ended basically right. like you know that, that was a man that was dealing with a lot of internal demons and stuff but unbelievably funny unbelievably funny what number are we on uh, i guess number two number two my number two is <laughs> it's called thanksgiving miracle i don't know if you've seen it this is a relatively new one did you see this sketch oh, i don't think i'm familiar with it Enlighten so it has a bunch of cast members and it's a uh, they're sitting down at the at the uh, table for Thanksgiving dinner. And it starts out real nice. It's like, oh, you know, we have lots to be thankful for. And the one character's like, well, I'm just thankful I didn't burn the turkey that much. And everybody's, ha, 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 you know, you know, fake laughing or whatever. And then right off the bat, somebody comments, well, I'm just thankful that our governor doesn't let any of them nasty, you know, refugees into my home state. And then it instantly just keeps snowballing and sm snowballing. And like there's a, you know, uh, Jay Farrow is there. You know, he's an African-American actor or actor or whatever. And all of a sudden they're like, you know, hey, how about you keep your friends from, you know, attacking the police and maybe we won't have a problem. So it keeps – it goes from instantly like this picturesque just uh, – like your perfect idea of what the a Thanksgiving dinner is supposed to be like, and then it completely flips it, you know, upside down, and they're all fighting about all these social issues and everything, right? And it's getting really, really heated, and everybody's just throwing stuff and racial epithets and all this stuff, and then all of a sudden, the little girl, the little daughter there, she puts on a CD, and it's Adele singing "Hello," okay, and it basically is talking about like the one thing that like everybody can all agree on is like Adele is your jam. And so all of the fighting completely stops. Everybody is like transfixed on this song and everybody's literally singing Adele. It sounds stupid. It's not like this like crazy like punchline or, you know, like a, a really clever one liner. But literally, if you've listened to Adele, I don't know if you're a fan or not. I listen to Adele. If it's on in their car, like I'm singing Adele. My mom will sing it. My brother will sing it. It's like cheesy adult contemporary pop music. But like, my God, if you cannot resist singing it, it's 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 a fantastic clip. If you've seen it, you'll relate to it. It's it's a it's a really, really good time. Awesome. OK, so my number two, I'm going way back again. Uh, that's where I am. Uh, Super Bassomatic 76. So it, that was the name of this little sketch. I tell you, nobody did like crazy rapid fire talk like Dan Aykroyd 
nobody. And he was probably never better at doing it than when he, he used to make fun of late night TV pitchmen. I think it was like Ron Popeil he was poking fun at. Um, but he did a short like 30 second bit about a kitchen appliance that you use to liquefy bass. And of course it was just a blender. Bass. It was a blender with a sticker on it, right? And and he's talking a mile a minute, you know, and like, and then you get to take the bass, you get to take the bass. And he would actually, then he took a bass and he put it in the blender and turned it on and he chopped it all up into this like red liquid mess. And then it just, the whole sketch just goes into like gross out mode. Lorraine Newman is there drinking it. That's great bass. And it was just like oh. off the charts. Um, so I got to go with Super Bassomatic 76. So uh, up to number one. All right. Number one uh, is The Shooting with uh, Andy Samberg. Have you seen it? I don't think so. Nope. All right. The Shooting, it starts out with uh, there's there's two characters in like an apartment or something. And he's like, hey, man, how was your day? He's like, oh, you know, it was uh, it was okay. Uh, you know, I, I actually started writing a letter to my sister and he's starting to explain it. And then all of a sudden you see a, or you hear a gunshot rather and you look and the other character is literally just pointing a gun like a smoking gun and he shoots him. And the uh, the the song, What'd You Say? You know, the, ooh, what'd you say? It, it starts playing over and over again. And it keeps building up to where he gets shot and then you think he's going to die. It, it does like the slow-mo him falling to the ground and staring with his eyes like transfixed, like the dead eyes in the camera. And you think it's over. And the next thing you know, the song plays again. And he's pointing the gun this time. The other character has now shot him back. This goes on two or three times, the exchanges of them shooting each other. Other people are then brought into the scene. Everybody keeps shooting everybody. At the very end of the clip, you see two detectives walk in. They read this note that this guy was writing that the whole scene is is basically based on. And he says, you know what? I, I, I think this is what's going to happen. This is a note to my sister. I think I'm going to shoot him. Then he's going to shoot me. Then somebody else is going to come into the room. And then we're both going to shoot them. And then two cops are going to come in. And they're going to shoot each other. And then Fred Armisen's character is reading. And he's like, isn't this ridiculous? And then, bam, all of a sudden, the other detective shoots him. And then it, it's just – it's this – insane buildup Chris it's it's the thing has got millions and millions of hits on YouTube a lot of people have seen it the music the way they cut the the actual clip itself it's so perfect it's so funny because it, it's the best jokes are ones that just keep building and building and building and it's it is the perfect clip dude I've literally I've probably watched it a hundred times I'm not gonna lie it's absolutely perfect it's called the shooting very cool I will definitely go and take a look at that it kind of just reminds me of there was a sketch going back to Farley I remember like anyone that's ever done theater out there you know sometimes you, you end up working with an actor who just tries to upstage a little bit you know like he's just a little bit too loud or you know stands upstage you know just a little bit to try and pull the, pull you to look toward him and all that kind of stuff and I remember Chris Farley was doing this one and they, and they were doing this play and he was trying to upstage everybody and he was like overacting the whole and the rest of the cast was getting so mad and then he had to he had to get shot and then he died and he was like I've just been shot oh my god and everyone's like oh come on you're just supposed to die and, we, and he took like 10 minutes to die just overacting the whole thing I don't know why it just came to my mind um, okay so my number one sketch of all time this is probably most people are going to be like what the heck are you talking about it's called the Wolverines sketch and I'll tell you what, okay, so it might not be like the best sketch ever. It was kind of weird and morbid. Michael O'Donoghue is totally like that. Um, so again, it might not be the best sketch, but I tell you what, it was the very first. And so for that reason, I got to mention it here. That's the Wolverine sketch. 
for starters, it, it, it had a cold opening. So what I mean by that is like it didn't um, it didn't have any titles. It didn't have any music. It just started. It, the show just opened up, and it was Michael O'Donoghue and and John Belushi sitting there. And John Belushi's kind of got this spaced out like look on his face, and he and they're doing like this foreign language teaching session where O'Donoghue is getting Belushi to repeat phrases back to him. And it starts out with he says, "I would like," and Belushi says, "I would like to feed your fingertips to feed your fingertips to the Wolverines." To the Wolverines. And that's where the sketch gets its name from. And so what he does is, is O'Donoghue keeps getting Belushi to repeat stuff back to him. And then finally, O'Donoghue has a heart attack and stands up. And Belushi mimics him, like grabbing his heart, falling down to the floor. Like I said, it was kind of weird and morbid. But it was like groundbreaking. And the thing is, it was the very first sketch ever done on the show. It was the cold opening. And it was something that would last for 40 years. And most importantly, it gave people a reason to stay home on Saturday nights. So for me, that's why I'm going to go with the very first sketch ever, and that's a Wolverine sketch. Tell you what, getting it down to five, pretty much impossible. <laughs> like you said at the top, we could, you know, we could probably do like, you know, 10 or 20 of these shows. Like there were so many sketches. Like if I think it back, like Olympia Diner and, and, and like I said, White Like Me, like I mentioned, and uh, Men Synchronized Swimming was another point counterpoint. And the thing is, a lot of these didn't just uh, end up being great sketches. They ended up creating catchphrases that have become like staples in pop culture, like cheeseburger, cheeseburger, cheeseburger in from point counterpoint, uh, Jane, you ignorant slut. And all, like, there were just so, so <laughs> many of them that it just, you know, it's unbelievable. But um, well, I'm sure we'll have to do another SNL show at some point. But now what I'd like to do is, is take a look at the top five performers um, from your generation. So again, we'll okay. go in reverse order and you can certainly go first. So start at number five. Who would you say is your number five performer on SNL of all time? Uh, man, this was also very, very tough. Number five, so I'm gonna yeah. go with I'm gonna go with Tina Fey. I Good. I love Tina. She's absolutely incredible, super, super funny. Um, a lot of her skits are, are fantastic, but that's not what you remember for. I think everybody when they think of Tina Fey in her stint on SNL, it's for the weekend update. Um, that was absolutely amazing. I was the one thing where I would make sure that I watched that. If I didn't watch the show at all, I would make sure to watch the weekend update. Just incredibly funny, incredibly just unbelievably witty i just absolutely love it so she's my number five there you go okay number five for me is bill murray um guy was incredible and the thing was he was the first addition to the cast so he was like the new guy he came along in 77 and he was so funny you look at he looked like this stoner kind of dropout loafer kind of guy he still does no i know and the thing was he was (laughs) he was really raw when he first joined the show but man is he something to watch like and i think the Part of the appeal with him was always that the audience really connected with him because it was just like he was he was almost like a regular guy that like snuck up on stage and joined the cast. And and to me, that was kind of the spirit of the whole show. Like when it first got started, it kind of felt like the studio exec, the adults, went home for the night and a bunch of rowdy kids snuck in and took over the studio and did a show. And I think for me, Murray kind of embodied that the most. So for that reason, he's number five on my list. Who's your four? Nice. Uh, number four is uh, Bill Hader. <laughs> nice. I love Bill Hader. J- uh, you know, most of his uh, characters, the the James Carville, the Herb Welch, doing like the old reporters. He played old guys, young guys, dads. He played women. He played little girls, played everything like that. But my favorite character from him, obviously, is Stefan, like the, the oh, my God, you know, like the yep. weird wearing like I, I can't even explain it, but. He's number four for me. He was just so versatile. He's still so, so funny. I love him. Uh, my four is Gilda Radner. Um, I, don't, I don't even know where to start with her. She was like this lovable, like almost frail woman, but whose personality was like huge. Like, And when I think in terms of personality, she was probably one of the best performers in the history of the show. 
And her characters, like she had Roseanne, Rosanna Dana, and Emily Lytella, they were just genius characters. And they were the type of characters that audience, the audience just went crazy for. They just adored her. And it was funny, she never really found success in the movies after she left the show, but her legacy definitely lives on with the Gilda's clubs that you know we find right around the world. So she's my number four. Your number three? Uh, number three, this was really, really difficult because I, I, there's so many that I want to jam in or at least give like an honorable mention to, but I obviously I can't. But uh, number three for me is Andy Samberg. Uh, a lot of people don't realize this, but over a hundred of his digital shorts that he made have over a million views on YouTube, over 100. And I, you want to talk about some of the like most iconic, just incredible like parodies of like pop culture and just what he did with music and how funny it is and how he was able to incorporate celebrities and, and, and bring – you know, c- celebrities who are normally very, very uh, controlling of their image and how they, you know, put music out and portray themselves. Like he would have rappers, you know, who, who their their image is of being, you know, hard and, and and street, you know, having street cred and stuff like that, and make them look completely ridiculous. And somehow always got them on board with it. Some of the funniest videos I've ever seen in my entire life are like, you know, I'm on a boat or I just had sex. Like I. <laughs> it's it's fantastic. You can literally kill an entire day just listening to it. So Andy Samberg is my number three. Uh, three for me, I'm going to go with Eddie Murphy. Uh, what can you say about him? I mean, he's this huge star. He became one of the biggest movie stars of all time. And if you ever, if you liked his stand-up comedy, and I don't know if you've ever gone back and seen, you know, Delirious or, or Raw or anything like that. But if you like that stuff, like one of the things is he, he was like completely spot on with his impersonations. Mm-hmm. And you, you've definitely got to go back and watch his work on SNL. Like whether it was like he did the Gumby Christmas or Stevie Wonder or Buckwheat. The guy was crazy talented. <laughs> I've and, definitely seen Buckwheat. Yeah, like prob- probably the most popular performer in the history of the show. So he's number three for me. Who's your two? Uh, my number two, man, this was really tough. Uh, Kristen Wiig, absolutely beloved. Um, I don't know if you remember the send off that they gave her. They basically gave her like a, a, a queen's farewell. Basically, she was so huge for the show. And uh, that, that's what I referenced earlier in the show about whenever a character leaves, like it really, really sticks with you. Um, her leaving was absolutely devastating to me because there's just so many characters of her that I absolutely loved. And uh, most notably, probably her being the the target employee you know we're gonna go to target that that character for me is my favorite but um it's it's good to see her having all the success now because she's just just absolutely phenomenal so she's number two for me chris and wig okay number two for me i'm gonna go with dan Aykroyd. uh the thing that made him so good was that he did stuff that no one else did and that no one else has ever been able to do like this the technical jargon the biker attitude he could do like super serious like when he was on point counterpoint or he could do complete lowbrow physical stuff like he did the refrigerator repairman um which by the way was so, so he played this refrigerator repairman who comes in and like bends over and you can see the crack of his butt and like they're, they're laughing at him the kids are laughing and i remember uh, reading about it in dress rehearsal he wanted to stick a pencil in the crack of his butt. And the the NBC <laughs> censors said, no way, you're not doing that. There's no way you're doing that on the air. So, okay, no problem, I won't. Of course, he went out and he did it on the air and he stuck the pencil in the crack of his butt. Um, you know, it was, he was just an amazing writer, an amazing performer, and best of all, he was Canadian. And one of the cool little stories about Dan Best Albright, of all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> one, of the, one of the cool things about him was, was that he never actually was officially going down to audition for the show. He jumped on his motorcycle. He brought Gilda Radner on the back of his motorcycle and drove from Toronto to New York so Gilda Radner could audition for the show. She was the very first cast member that was ever hired for the show, by the way, just as a piece of trivia. But he, he drove her down and he was just in the waiting room and somebody came out and said, hey, dude, uh, you're coming in to audition? And he's like, no, I'm not here to audition. And they said, well, just come on in and audition. So he did. 
Well, thank God, because it changed the history of the show. So Dan Aykroyd's number two. Number one. My number one is Fred Armisen. Uh, I I love Portlandia, the uh, the IFC comedy, whatever. That's it's completely separate from SNL. But I I just have like this long love affair with Fred Armisen. He's if not the longest, one of the longest tenured actors to ever be on Saturday Night Live. I think it was something like uh, eleven or twelve years, like a solid eleven or twelve years. Oftentimes you'd see with cast members they would leave and they would come back for a season or whatever. But this was solid for over a decade. He was just a staple. Everybody knew him, even if you didn't necessarily know his name. If if you seen him in a movie or something like that, you knew. Oh, that's the SNL guy. Incredibly, incredibly versatile. Um, some of my favorite pieces he ever did was actually the recent one where he did Prince. I just thought he absolutely nailed it. It was amazing, and like him playing like Liberace or or playing you know female characters especially it's just he's so versatile and he's so funny so fred armison is my my number one yeah it's interesting and, and definitely not a slag on fred armison don't take this this way but just when you mentioned sort of the longevity on the show i wonder though how much longevity on snl has to do with um popularity or how much it has to do with your talent or or outside opportunity uh, or outside opportunity and not coming their way i think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they can take the grind i mean doing that show is incredibly incredibly tough you go in mm-hmm. monday you know you got to start banging out some some sketches some ideas you're in the writers room you're starting to go tuesday you know boom 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 you're starting to write you're starting to rehearse you're starting to go also you got dress rehearsal like everything's just going at a fever fever pitch and you're just going like crazy you're doing rewrites at the last minute sometimes you'll notice in sketches they're looking off to the side they're reading off cue cards it's not because they didn't memorize their, their lines it's because they were still changing lines like seconds before they go to air like it's a crazy fevered pitch show to be a part of and not everybody can do it some people burn out some people just like i can't do this anymore so guys that like that have been there forever like like, like armiston like like kevin neal and guys like them i think maybe a lot a lot of it has to do with the fact that they just they kind of they kind of fit into that groove and they can, they can kind of go at that pace longer too something to think about mm-hmm. but anyway number one for me no question absolute hands down the greatest performer in the history of snl was john belushi uh i don't think anyone personified the show better than belushi did he was edgy he's like this rock and roll star with like this bigger than life personality he had a bigger than life talent um unfortunately for the world he had a bigger than life appetite for drugs that ended his life at 31 um him and 31 when he passed away. 31 years old in 1981 yeah wow and uh him and Aykroyd were like the first sort of breakout stars of the show they did blues brothers together and who knows how different pop culture would look if he hadn't died in 81 because spies like us and Ghostbusters, you know, two of the biggest comedy movies of the 80s and maybe of all time, they were both actually written for him to star in along with Aykroyd. And he died, so they had to delay the shows and they had to recast them. And he was the first big star of the show. He'll always be the best show, the best star of the show that ever was, that ever will be. John Belushi was the best. That's what I say. Um, so I guess, like you said, tough to come up with the top five on both of things. Is SNL better now? Was it better then? Um, like, can you, can, what do you think? Like, I mean, it's, it's maybe tough for you because you haven't gone back and watched a lot of that. And I'll be perfectly honest, I haven't watched a lot of the new stuff either. The stuff that I've watched, I haven't really liked that much. Maybe because mm-hmm. I'm tainted. Maybe because I, I watched all the old stuff and I just, it's so good that I just, I don't really give it much of a chance and maybe I should give it more of a chance. But, you know, when I look back on some of the old stuff, like, Oh my God, it was groundbreaking. And like I said, I went back a little while ago and I watched an episode from 78. It was Carrie Fisher was on. And much like the prior show, every single sketch on that show was a hundred times better than 
anything I've seen in the last 10, 15 years. So yep. it was just something else. Anyway, um, well, what do you say that we now we have a little bit of fun with Yancey? All right, let's do it. Okay, so this week I'm going to quiz you on SNL-related questions. We're going to stay true to the topic, of course, and especially in regard to Gen X, okay? So I'll tell you what, I'm going to start you with a very, very easy one. It's a 50-50 shot at this one, okay? Okay. Uh, so it's Saturday Night Live. So when a show goes out live, anything can happen. Has the F word ever been said on the show and made it to air? I I know this. Once, it was an accident. I, I even knew who the... Oh my God, I know this. It was once... Who was the actor? Ugh. Yes, the answer is yes. It was one time. And I, I did know this, and I've, I've completely blanked on who the actor was. But it was a miss. It was a mistake. Like it was a misstep. He, he didn't actually mean to say it. Like he jumbled his words or something like that, and he blurted out the f word. Uh, right. So actually, the, 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 the f word has been said several times on SNL. Uh, the first time was with Paul Schaefer <laughs> uh, when he said it instead of uh, the word floggin. He was supposed to say floggin and he didn't. Uh, most famously was in 1981 Charles Rocket. So they were doing a spoof of who shot JR. And at the end, he looked at the camera and he said, I, I'd just like to know who the f*** did it. And it just, he didn't mean to say it. He said he just came out and man, did he get in trouble for that. But I mean, Prince used uh, the F word in a song. Um, Morris Day in the time, you know, sang it in a song. Uh, Aerosmith did as well. Um, but most recently in uh, 2009, Jenny Slate, she accidentally said, said the F word, you know, on the show. So it's been said quite a few times actually, but the most famous I think was Charles Rocket when he did it in the, uh, the Who Shot uh, JR sketch, that's for sure. Okay, so next one. In the original cast, Okay, mm -hmm. Chevy Chase, he opened up this recurring sketch every week with the following phrase. He would say, good evening, I'm Chevy Chase, and you're not. Name the, recur <laughs> na name the recurring sketch. Uh, I, I don't know, but I want to know, what is it? Weekend update. As soon as you said that, yeah. that obviously makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. He, he opened up Weekend Update with that. So, um, okay, <laughs> so we'll try another one. So, um, this well-known and beloved comedian was offered the chance to join the cast of SNL for the 1981-82 season, but he turned it down so that he could stay on SETV. Name him. 1981? Yep. Think about mm -hmm. it. He, he's offered to come on Saturday Night Live, and he says, no, 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 I don't want to do it. I'm going to stay on SCTV. Here's a – showing my age a little bit, but what was SCTV? Can you give me that? Are you kidding me? <clears throat> oh, my God. You, <laughs> come we, on, man. you and I are doing an entire <laughs> show on SCTV. Okay, it's a Canadian show. It stands for Second City Television. It was as good or better than Saturday Night Live. No word of a no word of a lie. Go back and look up some things. I'm going to send you after the show. I'm going to send you a link to some of my favorite uh, SCTV stuff. Uh, unlike SNL, you can find some of this stuff on YouTube, and some of it is, will just blow you away. It is so incredible. So this guy was on SCTV. SNL tried to woo him over. He's Canadian, and he died in 1994. Those are some hints for you. Okay, I I, I don't know if he was actually Canadian, but is it Mitch Hedberg? No, no, it's not Mitch. Hedberg, it's John Candy. Oh, yeah, see, I would have never gotten that. Okay, well, then, um, then try, I'll expand it a little bit. Okay. So Rest in peace, though, John Absolutely, Candy. one of the greatest. <laughs> so, in the history of SNL, there's been nine cast members 
who were Canadian. You know, I got to give a Canadian spin on this because, you know, you know, I'm from the Great White North myself, right? So here's what I want you to do. Nine Canadian cast members in the history of the show. Name two of them. Um, oh, wow. <sighs> Nobody knows any Canadians, Chris. Um, Are you kidding me? Come on. Come on. Okay, okay, I'll make it easy for you. Name one. Name one Canadian that's ever been a cast member in SNL. Now, when you say cast member, that is a distinction between, like, being a guest or hosting it, right? Yeah, yeah, a cast member. I'm looking for one of the cast members, one of the not-ready-for-primetime players, okay? Um, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know, Chris. I can't think of a single one. Uh, Mike Myers? Yep, okay. That, okay. that actually does make sense, yeah. yeah. Dan Aykroyd? Dan Aykroyd's Canadian? Yep. Robin Duke? Norm MacDonald? Peter Aykroyd? Paul Schaefer? Phil Hartman? Mark McKinney, and of course, Martin Short. All uh -huh. Canadians on the show. Okay. Did not know that. Okay, well, well speaking of guest hosts, you mentioned guest hosts, so I'll put this spin on it for you. So um, there's been lots of people that have hosted the show more than one time. Okay, do you know who holds the record for hosting the show the most times? The most. Yep. Hosted Saturday Night Live more than anybody else. 16 times. Uh, well, recently it seems like every other week it's Justin Timberlake. Mm -hmm. Uh I don't that's not right is it no um who has hosted it the most can you give me any kind of hint as to you, you've already been buzzed so unfortunately i gotta, I gotta take it away <laughs> okay it's, it's alec baldwin has <clears throat> hosted really? the show 16 times yeah steve martin's hosted 15 john goodman and buck henry both 10 but alec baldwin is the, is the leader at 16 <clears throat> okay so i'm gonna make it even easier i'm gonna go into the world of movies for you okay so you know there's been sometimes they make movies based on snl sketches right there's been 11 movies that have been based on snl sketches or characters what i want you to do though is name the very very first one what was the first movie ever based on an snl sketch or character was uh, this the blues brothers Oh, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> very good. because Very good. Came out in 1980. And they didn't make another one for 12 years till Wayne's World came out. So good yep. for you. One All of right. my dad's favorite movies. All right. Well, well, it's one of my favorite movies as well. So, um, okay. Uh, one last one to go, okay? One yes. last one on the show. So when the, sh when, when the show debuted in 1975, the show was not originally called Saturday Night Live. Can you give me the original name of the show? Wow. I've got to give you credit, Chris. You did give questions that even if you didn't watch the show, you could probably pick stuff up just through osmosis, like yep. just hearing it and passing and stuff. That was the point. Yeah. I didn't want to, yeah. I didn't want to like stump you. I want to have some fun. It's fun with Yancey, not stump Yancey. Yeah. This is really difficult. You could tell it, it's coming out through your questions that this is something you're obviously very passionate about that you followed for a long time. I, like I absolutely It's seeping through. Love, yeah. This I is, this it. is your joint right now. Oh, but, you know, uh, love it. Love it to death. Yeah, but no, I, I don't know. You're going to have to tell me. It debuted on October the 11th, 1975. And for uh, over a year, it was called NBC's Saturday Night. And the reason why is at the time, there was a show on Saturday night called Saturday Night Live with Howard Cosell. And so they couldn't call it Saturday Night Live. So they called it NBC's Saturday Night. And then they ended up just changing it to Saturday Night. And then they finally change it to Saturday Night Live. If you if you notice on the cold opening, at the end of the cold opening on every show, what do they say right before they kick it to the, to the credits? Live from New York, it's Saturday night. It's Saturday night, night. yeah. And that's, they've, they've kept that right from the beginning because that's the way they, they started at the beginning of the show and they've just kept it through ever since, you know? It's wild. <clears throat> like I said, we could probably do 10 shows on SNL and we'll probably come back and do some more in the future. 
that's for sure. But for now, I tell you what, it's time to call it a wrap. <clears throat> We've gone a little bit long antsy. No, no question for me, SNL stands as one of the best TV shows of all time. It's certainly the most seminal TV show of all of all time. It was really good to get your take on it. So I tell you what, until next time, this is Chris McBride for Yancey Eaton saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thank you for listening to the Pop Goes Your World podcast. Continue the conversation on Twitter at C. McBrien or at Yancey Eaton. Please consider leaving a review for the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. Music